We'll be focusing on this gospel mystery promise contained in the institution of marriage. And how it should uh, drive how we respond to the call of marriage, the law of marriage. How it should shape how we think about how we act and what we do. So if you are physically able, would you stand as though a bride is entering the room, right? We all do this at weddings. Uh, and we're going to honor God's word as we read it today. I'm going to start in, in verse 21. Uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, that each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Go ahead and have a seat, and let's pray. Lord God, as we look at this text, I pray that you would speak your word to our hearts and that we might be reborn in the image of your beloved son. Let us gaze intently into his brilliance this morning so that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ might be with us today and it would drive away the darkness from our lives and from our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there is, sorry, I got to start my timer here. Um, there is a central analogy that is sort of unifying this whole text for us. Uh, I hope you heard it um, uh, as we were talking, as I was reading, that there was an analogy. There were words like even as and like. If you uh, took the SAT well, pre-2005, uh, which is only, I don't know, 10 people in this room. Um, there was a whole thing that was about analogies, right? Blank is to blank as blank is to blank. Everyone uh, who hasn't, you have, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but everyone else, you're in. You're in with me. Um, and so there is a central analogy going on right here. There is a uh, e blank is to blank as blank is to blank, right? So you have Christ, uh, the husband is to Christ as the bride is to the church, the wife is to the church. But as, as we're reading this text, actually on the face of it, the way most people read this text is the first thing they see is law. The first thing they see is commandment. First thing they see is instruction. And so if, if you were listening, I, I bet that's what you heard. You heard wives submit to your husbands in verse 
22. And, and in verse 25, he said, husbands, love your wives. Now, what is a command? A command requires your obedience. A command from God to you binds you in a way that, that makes you uh, responsible for obeying that command. Um, when God speaks, right, you ask, or when God says jump, you ask, how high, right? That's what law is. So when, when he gives us instruction, uh, we need to obey it. And that, that shouldn't surprise us. If you've been here for the past couple weeks, uh, chapter 5 starts off this section that we're in with, with this uh, command. It says, therefore, be imitators of God, in verse 1, as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So uh, we are commanded to imitate God and walk in love. And what we find in verse 22 and then in verse 25 are what that walking in love looks like in the context of marriage. And not just Christian marriage. This is the way every marriage in the world has been designed and designated to operate by our creator, by the man, uh, by the man Jesus. I can say man because Jesus is man. Um, but by God. Now, so God imitation, thinking acting, relating to others the right way. God's way is what the law outlines for us. And so when we, we bump up to, against these commands, that's what's going on here. It's, it's showing us God's design for things. It's showing us what it means uh, to be uh, somebody who does what God wants. If you want to act rightly towards your neighbor, look to the law of God. If you want to know what you ought to think about your neighbor, look to the law of God. If you want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, look to the law of God. God imitation is love walking. As O Holy Night, we just sang this maybe last month, right? Truly he, meaning Christ, taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. His law is love. And so if you want a right-functioning marriage where husband and wife are doing, uh, both living as a odd and a right relationship with each other, honoring God and shining light into the world so that others might glorify their creator, if you want that type of marriage, look to the law. Look to how God commands you to act in relation to other people. Look to the standard contained in his word. And so what does the law command? Well, um, the law says husband should live with his wife in such a manner. That's verses 25 through 30 and 33a. And, and a wife should live with her husband in such a manner. That's 22 through 24 in, in verse 33b. To do otherwise is to violate God's law. Are we all, I think we're all tracking there. And, and Christians for all ages, they've used words. They're biblical words because they're in the Bible. Um, to describe what that looks like. So for a, a, a wife, uh, the words of submission and respect have, have become the, the law words that uh, we use to sort of shape how we think about how a wife should treat her husband and, and relate to him. And, and Christians over the ages have words, use words like love and nourish and cherish when they talk about how a husband should be relating to his wife. And, and we've been wired to obey law, right? At our very core, when we were created, we were wired to obey the law. And so as we come to this text, 
as we look to the law, a lot of the teaching and a lot of the focus, I think, becomes on what, what does this mean? How do I do this in my human marriage? What does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? And what does submission look like in, in my marriage? In, in the man that I married, how do I submit to him in a way that honors him and builds us up and I'm obeying God's law? Sometimes this is good because we have good husbands, but sometimes this is hard because we have bad husbands. But your desire to honor him, your desire to obey Jesus is good. And husbands are the same way, right? Husbands love his wife. How does that look like? How do I, as this woman's husband, love her and nourish her and cherish her and care for her? And sometimes husbands have to ask that when it's hard to do that with their wife because their wife hurts them. It is right for us to think about how to obey God's law. We should think about these things. And some of us think about these things because we want to obey God, right? Others of us think about these things because we just want to be happy. We want to have a happy marriage, and so we think about it. Others of us, we think about it because we just don't want things to be so bad. And so we talk and we talk and we talk about all the practical ways we can convey love and convey respect and we can have a good marriage. Uh, but I, I think sometimes, um, and a lot of times actually, um, that talk, though coming from a good place, right? It comes from a good place. Um, it's often superficial. It's often culturally conditioned. It's often man-centered. And, and we give it a pass, though. We don't come to it critically because uh, it seems so useful right now. Right? It, it, if we think about it, it actually promises us something. It, it gives us something to believe in because the promise of, of this man-centered, culturally conditioned, superficial advice on love and respect Promises this. This is its promise to you. It says, only if you just bought your wife more gifts, more flowers, more jewelry, more dates, more, more anything else. If you just did that for your wife, then maybe she would respect you more and you'd have more peace in your home. Or, or the promise maybe from the, the woman's side is, only if you made sure dinner was on the table when he came home at night, from work, he would love me. And these doubts I have about my loveliness would just all go away. And we come to marriage and we see these promises offered to us by, by law. And, and, and we say, who doesn't want peace, right? Who doesn't want fulfillment? Who doesn't want their marriage to be happy? And the path offered to us just seems so doable, right? It is doable to buy chocolates, like you go, to, you go to Publix, you buy some, and then you bring them home, right? That's so doable. It's doable to like make a meal. You just stick it in the microwave, right? Doot, doot, doot. And it's done, five minutes, um, if you have a microwave, uh, right? That's so doable. And the, the payoff seems so amazing, right? Who doesn't want the promise of peace? Who doesn't want the promise of love, but I, I have to tell you something. The law is not the gospel. The law is not the gospel. And as we go through life trying to use the law to get what only can be arrived at by the gospel, we will have neither. 
we will have neither obedience to the law nor the promise of the gospel and the fulfillment that our hearts long for and the value that the gospel offers us and the beauty that the gospel says you have because you are Jesus's is stripped from us because we go after it the wrong way. If you go after those things that only the gospel can promise, if you go after them through law, if, if, if you believe that if I do X, if I obey X, then I will earn Y, you will end up with neither obedience that we desire nor the actual promise of the gospel that is burning in our hearts. So let me uh, say it this way. So superficial, culturally conditioned, man-centered laws are not going to be able to provide what your soul is longing for. And it won't help you actually obey God's commands to love and to nourish and to cherish and to submit in marriage. Because your love will never be pure enough. Your nourishment will never satisfy Your cherishing will be consistently insufficient. Your submission will become subversion and manipulation and conniving when you go at it this way. So then, how do we set our talk? Because we should talk about this. We should give this counsel to each other. We should enter into these conversations and understand with each other what's going on here. And so how do we let our talk about loving and nourishing and cherishing and submitting be free from the superficiality and man-centeredness and middle-class sensibilities of so much of the practical advice um, in the world and in the church? How do we evaluate the things that we want to do in marriage? How do we evaluate them? And and how do we think through what we share with other people? Because we don't want to be uh, addressed by Jesus. Jesus addresses the Pharisees in Matthew 15, and he says this, For your sake, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so how do we let that not be said of us in our practical advice on marriage? The answer is in the text. I already alluded to it before, but I'm going to say it again. The answer is in the text. What Paul is constantly grounding all of his instruction is to both husbands and wives is the relationship between Jesus, King Jesus, and the church. Look in verse uh, 22 here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's an analogy word. Uh, Verse 23, for husbands... For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And let me just say this. Does Christ ever ask anything improper to his wife, the church? Does he ever give her a command that would shame her? Does he ever uh, push her around? The answer is no. Never, not once, ever. And so that should be true of us as well as husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
It's verse 25. Verse 28, in the same way. So we're referring to all of 26 and 27, where, where Paul says that Christ gave up his body for the church. And he did that to sanctify her and to cleanse her and to wash her, that he might present her to himself without blemish in holiness. In that exact same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 29, for no one uh, ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. And so, do you have this type of relationship with Jesus? Has Jesus done these things for you? Has Jesus loved you and given himself for up you? Uh, given himself up for you? Maybe on a cross, right? Has he borne your sins in his body on the cross that you might die to sin and live to righteousness? Have you been healed by his wounds? When Jesus stood up in the synagogue and read Isaiah uh, chapter 61, and he said that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, that he came to set liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, liberty for the oppressed, and favor from the Lord. Were you among the poor that Jesus was speaking that to? When Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd, and I have come that the sheep might have life and have it abundantly, and he adds that there are other sheep not of this fold, meaning, meaning Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. Are you one of those sheep for whom Christ is a good shepherd? Has a good shepherd laid down his life for you, his sheep, that you might have life and have it abundantly? When Jesus told the parable uh, of the lost sheep, he's got 99 sheep, and the sheep goes astray. It's left the pack. It's all alone out in the wilderness. Did he seek you out and hunt you down and put you on his shoulders and carry you back to the fold? Do you have that type of relationship with Jesus? And have you... When others turn their backs on that man, that Jesus Christ, have you, when others have rejected him to go after their own way, and he looks over to you and he says to you, do you want to go away as well? Do you say to him, do you answer him and he said, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life and I have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And do you say to him, like Isaiah 26, 8, Lord, walking in your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of my heart. Do you have that type of relationship with Jesus? Now, I was channeling the NIV there. Don't, uh, don't, don't at me, bro. Um, <laughs> do you have that type of relationship with Jesus? If you want it, it's yours. If you want it, it's yours. So if there's any bit of you today that wants that with Jesus, 
It's yours. Jesus came so that you would have life. And Jesus offers you this relationship today, even now, in this moment. And it doesn't matter if you said Jesus, yes to Jesus, a million times before to this day, because he wants you to say yes again. And if this is the first time that you've ever heard this good news, he wants you to say yes today as well. Jesus wants you to say yes And why? Why why is it this way? Like, if you think about it, why does Jesus want me to say yes every time I hear this message? Every time I hear this good news? And the answer is, is that uh, this relationship with Jesus is a lot like a marriage. It's a lot like a marriage. Look at in verse 31. Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If you do uh, a little bit of um, uh, Bible ninjutsu, um, Matthew 19, Jesus uses this verse. He uses this verse to, talk, he's, to, to say he's talking about marriage. This is a verse about marriage. And it's Genesis 2.24, which is uh, creation as well. So Genesis 2.24 is about marriage. When, when in Genesis 2.24, he's explaining the creation of Adam and Eve, and he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two and hold fast to his wife. He is talking about marriage. Two coming together, becoming one flesh. Two becoming one, leaving father and mother. Two become one, marriage. And then Paul adds in verse 32 here, This mystery is profound. And I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. So this is, a, this is a mystery. I mean, it's not, it's not a complete mystery. There are tons of evidence of this in the Old Testament. Go read uh, Ezekiel. Um, go read Jeremiah. Like, there is tons of evidence in the Old Testament that uh, God is married to his people. Um, tons of it. But I, I think um, the difference here, the difference here is that uh, we are united with Jesus. That's the mystery. We are one flesh with our Lord and Savior forever, for all of eternity. Now, I, I'm saying this is a, a marriage ceremony. So it's a marriage, right? We're married to Jesus. So have you ever been to a wedding ceremony? I think that probably, hopefully everybody has at least once, seen on TV maybe, all right? Uh, maybe a movie. Um, anyway, so... Wedding ceremony. What happens? You have a bride and you have a groom. The groom's at the front. The bride comes down. Uh, you gather all these witnesses. If you're, ever, if you're ever in a marriage, like if you're ever like sitting in the seats and looking, you are a witness. Your role there is not to, uh, I guess, to just sit and dress up real nice and fly really far away to go. Your role is to witness something. Your role is to be a witness. So you gather, uh, bride and groom, you gather witnesses. And then these two people, they make promises to each other in front of all these witnesses. And then you say, yes, I, I promise that. Yes, I promise that. Yes, I, pro- I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. Um, and then after the, the wedding ceremony, you, you exchange rings, you become married. Um, and then you, uh, you go and you become one flesh together. Right, so you have this consummation of the marriage. You have this one, one fleshness in marriage. Now, um, in a similar way with this, this marriage analogy, 
Baptism represents our wedding ceremony. Baptism. Uh, The bride, who's you, um, and the groom, who's Jesus, we all gather witnesses. We bring the church together, and we get you up on stage-ish, or maybe at a river, however people used to do it in the past. We, we, get, we gather witnesses. We get the bride and the groom together. Promises are made. Jesus promises so much to us in our baptism. More than we could ever possibly give back to him in our promise, all we say is, I do, Jesus. I do. I will have you. I will take all of your gifts to me. I will use them all for your glory. I do, Jesus. And we let the water cleanse us from all of our sins. Not the water, right, physically. The water uh, spiritually. The water that, that flows from the, from the side of Jesus, metaphorically, is cleansing us from all of our sins. And then we have this one fleshness. This unity with Christ. So in such a way that, that, that we say that we are the body of Christ. That when Jesus says, when he, when he, he gives this parable, he says, uh, when you did such and such, you did it unto me. When you did such and such, right, you did it unto me. So there's a, a certain way in which we, we serve other people. We're actually serving their master, the person that they have a one flesh relationship with. And then when Jesus looks out at his church and, and Paul is ravaging them, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting those people who follow me? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus sees you in him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God is how Colossians puts it to us. We have a union, a one fleshness with Christ. And that his baptism is, is related to this is not surprising when we look at the language uh, in verse 26 here. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. When you, when you come out of the water, who are you presented to? To Jesus as his bride, without spot or wrinkle or blemish, because you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are holy. You are pure. You are resplendent. So he sanctifies her. He cleanses her. He washes her. She is holy and without blemish. And so our baptism is like our wedding day with Jesus. We enter into to that relationship but if you're familiar with weddings, uh, they're not just an event, right? They create something new. They're called, we call them in our family, family creation days. Because you create a family when you get married. Um, it's new. Hasn't been there before, and now it's there. Boom. Ex nihilo creation. No, I'm just joking. That's not true. Um, and so every day you're married to someone, you have to choose to live in harmony or discord. You have to choose to be at peace or at war. You have to choose to work together or strive alone. You have to choose to speak the truth or to live in lies. You have to choose to grow together or drift apart. You have to choose to dream with one mind or build walls with your two wills. Each and every day, 
that happens. And that is why I say that even now, your answer to Jesus matters. Because you're either starting your marriage to Jesus today, or you're committing to make a choice each and every day to remain remarried to him. Because when he says in, in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, he is saying that your life and your relationship with him is one of constant belief and constant repentance. His obedience here on this earth, the, the works that he did, that, that you believe that what he did, he did for you. His dying on the cross was your death on a cross. His obedience here was your obedience here. All that he did was for you. And he did it for you, not only that, uh, that you can be with him forever, but so that in your life, in your character, in your being, in the core of who you are, you become more and more and more and more and more like him. You begin to resemble him. You begin to look like Jesus. Back uh, when, when, the, when the Jews in Antioch, they, they first started to be called Christians then. Christians is just the diminutive, meaning like poquito, right? Uh, it's just a little, little version of something else. Um, and that was cast as like a disparaging remark on Christians at the time. But isn't that, isn't that beautiful? I'm glad it stuck. I'm glad we call ourselves little Christs because that is his design and his purpose for each and every one of us. That in who we are, we become more and more like him. And so the, the, com- the command, the, the, the longing of God's heart for us is that we would be imitators of God even in our marriages. Now, this is my final word, so I'm wrapping up here. We've run out of runway. Um, and I want to exhort us all today. I want to exhort all of us. I want to encourage us and challenge us and exhort us. Um, and so th- this is my exhortation. So if you are having troubles in marriage, if, if you are, uh, don't know that, uh, mar- what marriage is all about, right? If, if, you, if you're struggling with the ideas of the world or uh, you have feelings toward marriage or you just have anything at all, anything at all that you deal with, that you struggle with, that you, uh, hurts your heart, that, that brings you pain, please come to Fudd or Jack or the other elder, or, or me, right? And, and talk to us. <laughs> talk to us. We are here. Our job, our role, our vocation, our ministry, our anything that you can think about word is to help you apply the word of God to your lives. That is why elders exist. That is why we are here for you. We're here to apply the word of God to your lives and understand how you love and how you nourish and how you cherish your wives, husbands. That's our job. And, and our job is to help teach wives how to submit to husbands. That is our job. And so let us help you. Let us help you break free from practical advice that is man-centered, that is enculturated in our world, that is uh, uh, people-driven, so that you can better understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there's nothing special about Jack or Fudd or me. 
There's nothing special about us, but there's something special about God's office and God's blessing to offices. And we will do our best to administer God's word to you, but God's word is what's going to do all the work. And so you can do this to each other, guys. Like, you can do this to each other. You can speak the word of, of the Lord into each other's lives and show each other where there might be blind spots, where there, there might be areas where, where we are believing lies about our lives. You will not bother us with your problems. You will not weigh us down by coming to us. You will in, actually be enabling us to fulfill God's plan for our office. And so please, if there's any burden that you bear, bring it to somebody to help you lift it. If there's anything that's tearing you down, come to people who can build you up. You will honor us and esteem us and value us if you come to us. And that's true for everyone here. You will value them because you will say, you have something that I need and I am needy. Don't go it alone. We are the body of Christ for whom he died. And he has united us together in him. We are from all tribes and nations and tongues. We are a worldwide family. And we're united as one in Christ. So let's lean on one another. Let's love one another. And let's honor our king together and worship him with all that we are. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the images that you give us in your word. We are so grateful that even in the most ancient of human institutions, in marriage, that you have displayed to us a mystery, a beauty, uh, news that's too good to be true by giving us your son to be our husband. What better husband is there than Jesus? Who better to love us? Who better to nourish us? Who better to cherish us and make us clean and present us to himself without spot or wrinkle or blemish? Who better than Jesus? So we love you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. Your name is above every name. No man has ever done what you have done, and no man can set me free from my sins. No man but you, Jesus, because you are no mere man. You are the living God. And so come to us, Jesus. I pray that you would give courage to those who don't know if they can share. I pray that you would give power to the people that they do share with, that your spirit would be at work in that brother or sister, and that you would give them words of love, that you would give them words of healing, that you would give them words of power, and that your 
nay, would be hallowed as a result, and that all would come and worship before you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.